Hey, uh, we're in First Peter chapter 5, finishing up that passage of Scripture today. It says, I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ. Uh, when he says to the sufferings of Christ, he likely has in mind his own personal observation of, of a Christian suffering on the cross, or Christ's suffering on the cross, though he could be referring to the actual suffering that the church was going through. Remember, Peter wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia that are struggling, that are struggling with their faith, they're being persecuted, they're being oppressed, and he's like, he could be talking about their sufferings, or he could be talking about the sufferings that Jesus went through on the cross. He says, as well as one who shares in the glory, the glory is a big thing here, the glory of God that resides in us. It says, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. That is in total contrast of the suffering. He's reminding them, even though you're going through suffering, you have incredible glory, which comes through our salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the glory that he's talking about. Salvation was Peter's encouragement to the church during this time of persecution that they were enduring. And he wanted them to find the joy the joy in the midst of the pain, the sorrow, and the grief. That Christians possess the glory, the glory in this life right here, but it's even going to be more fully revealed when we're home in heaven. In verse 2 it says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, like they supported those who were shepherding their people. They gave to them, provided for them. And he's literally saying, elders are to be shepherds of the flock. This is one of the few passages in the New Testament, maybe the only one where he's really speaking to the elders. They talk about what elders consist of in Timothy and, and other books, but he's literally talking to the elders right here. You're responsible for the pastoral work of the local church. And when I say responsible, it's not because it's my duty, it's not because it's your duty, it's because that's the heart that God has given us. That we have a desire to do this, that it's like I'm not forced to do anything, I'm not forced to go to hospitals, I'm not forced to call anybody, I do it out of the goodness of my heart because I want to. Amen. And he says, he says this, he, but willingly, the verb shepherd here really means to tend, to tend. Pastoring includes the duties of, of feeding, of leading, of guiding, of guarding, and providing for the needs of those in the church. We are blessed in this ministry uh, because Pinheads uh, has literally donated these facilities to us for the last 16 years that we don't have a financial, fiscal responsibility for this building. I don't, have to, I don't have to plan for it. I don't have to clean it. I don't have to do anything. You guys put the chairs back. It's a beautiful thing. And because you give to this ministry, we're literally able to help people that are in need, financially help people that are in need, which is a beautiful thing. The other thing that he's saying right here when he says elders, it's plural. No single individual can tend to the church. 
it is not my sole responsibility to tend to all of you. I, I do the best that I can to make myself accessible to you through this little thing to love on you, to care for you, to communicate with you, to do that. But the, the beauty of it is you just saw how many shepherds and elders and teachers and loving people that we have in this room that want to care for you and want to provide for you. It's not a pressure to serve, but it's a willingness to serve. Uh, God's not strong-arming anybody to serve in his ministry. He doesn't, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need me. I think he wants me here. I think he's put me here. But he doesn't need me. He can do his thing without me. They're, they're, that's for sure. There's no place for that I have to do in this kingdom. Uh, verse 3, it says, Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that would be Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter's not referring to a specific reward earned by elders here. He's literally, you go back to that verse 1 when he's talking about you share in the glory. There's this crown of glory that we receive when we get to heaven, and those are that crown is for like believers. And I don't know, I don't think it's a, a literal crown. I just think it's something that we receive uh, once we get to heaven, and every believer receives that crown. Verse 5, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That's literally just saying respect. Just respect. Why would, you, why would you respect your elders? Because you're told to? Or because they're people that deserve respect? It goes both ways. It goes both ways. That they can look up to you, they can see you as a role model. They want to get wisdom from you. It says... <clears throat> all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you. All of you. And then he quotes the Old Testament, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's literally encouraging this whole attitude of humility to be expressed by believers. I truly believe as a shepherd, as an elder, as a pastor, there. The heart of the issue is not only servanthood, but humbleness. That God has literally allowed me to sit here. It's, it's not a result of me uh, trying harder to live righteously or anything like that, or to follow some religious regulations, but rather it's the understanding of God's grace. Uh, just having conversations about wrestling with the Word of God and... Uh, to be able to defend it based upon God's word, I don't think that I would ever say, I'm right, I'm correct. I know what I believe, and I can defend it with God's word, but I may not be right. I'm going to get to heaven and go, oh. <laughs> and you may too. So anybody that tells me that I'm wrong, that's on you. 
that's on you. Because the Word of God is, is available to us all, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we may see it differently. We may interpret it differently. I, I, I'm just telling you, I don't know. I, I think I know this pretty well. I can know it better, and I'm studying it more and more. But um, he says, resist the proud. Resist those who say I'm right. I'll listen to you. I hope you listen to me. And then in the conclusion he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. <laughs> it's kind of hard not to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Somebody in this room today needed to hear that, just that he cares about you. You, you, you may not feel it right now that God is like nowhere near your crisis, nowhere near your grief, but let me tell you the word of God says right here because he cares about you. He cares about you. And he He's talking about this humbleness. He's not talking about false types of humility in which we try to humble ourselves through this religious living, but it's the heart. He says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone that he can devour. I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe that the evil one is alive and he is working and he is the one that is responsible, that he is responsible for the evil that happens in this world. And granted, we are able to choose, we're able to have a free will and make choices, but the enemy's main goal, the enemy's main goal, is it's not to get people to do bad stuff. It's, it's really him trying to encourage people to disbelieve in God. That's what it is. That's his main. If he can do that through distractions, if he can isolate you, if he can create thoughts that aren't yours inside of your head, if he can do all these things, anything to distract you from believing in God, if he can cause like this major grief to come upon you and for you to turn your back on God, that's what the enemy does. That's his whole goal. But the gospel says the precise opposite. There's no longer this distant relationship between us and the Lord. It says this, resist him firm in the faith. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And again, this wasn't written to you, it was written for you. He's talking about the persecution that's happening around the world. But if it's written for you, when you're suffering, and we all suffer, we all go through suffering, that's when we feel alone. That's when we feel totally isolated. I'm, I'm miserable, and nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody can... He's literally saying, no one suffers alone. It's experienced by your fellow believers. It may not be the exact same suffering, but to some extent, we're all suffering. It says, the God of grace, 
the, great, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. I would love to say that you're just going to suffer for a little bit in whatever circumstance that you're dealing with, and then it'll be over, but I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that. I can promise you that when I'm gone from this place, there, there's no more suffering. So uh, we just said, you know, 60 years, 80 years goes by quick, goes by quicker the older you get, and he's literally saying this is for a short time that we deal with the suffering of this world. To him be dominion forever. Amen. He closes his letter. And I, I literally think at this point, uh, Peter, like Paul, they had people that were traveling with them, and they didn't really like pen these letters. They probably dictated these letters. And he says uh, in verse 12, Through Silvanus, which is also Silas, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Amen. Stand firm in what we're teaching here. Stand firm in what Peter is writing to the church right here. He's literally taking the letter out of Silas's hand and he's taking the pen and he's pinning this himself, Peter is, at the end. And in verse 13 it says, She who is in Babylon, we believe that when he says she who is in Babylon is talking about the church, the bride. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Not his literal son, but he sees him as his son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Well, that doesn't happen in this culture, especially after covid and then he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Huh. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace. My, my peace is shallow. His peace is infinite. His peace is greater than my peace. His peace is the only peace that can break through the noise of this world. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, just as Luke was saying, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That Spirit of God dwells inside of you and the fruit that He is providing is a peace that I can't provide. I don't understand how I can have peace in the middle of the storm unless it comes from Him. I don't, but I can. My peace is his peace, or it's no peace at all. It's that simple. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Father, I thank you for uh, this flock. I thank you for the eldership that you have provided. I thank you for all that you do here. I, I sit here amazed at uh, the stories, the people, the problems, the issues, the joys the, that you have put in this community, and you care about us. Yeah, I absolutely care about us. May we know that this week. 
May you show us that this week. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.